have to say what voices you guys have. It's lovely to you guys sing. It's, it's, there's passion behind those words. I can hear it. Um, we're, so what were we singing? This is my story. This is my song. And that's what I want to look at um, this morning is every Christian has a story. Uh, this is the beautiful thing. My story, a personal story. We hear about Christian testimonies, don't we? And at baptisms, I'm sure you get, do you get the people to share their testimony as they're baptized? So whoever's getting baptized today, I don't know who it is, but you're going to share your story of what God did in your life. Um, and it's an, an amazing thing in Christianity. And every story is so different. So my story is different to many of yours. I grew up outside of Christianity, completely in the world, making a mess of everything, and then came to Christ in my 20s. Some of you grew up in Christian homes, discovering Christ at a young age. My mum became a Christian in her 70s and was baptised three years ago. Praise God. Um, what So many different stories. It's an, it's an amazing thing. But, and we share it, don't we? So we share it with others. Hear what God did in my life. But here, in Ephesians chapter 2, we see the opposite. We see an apostle Paul who's a Christian, writing to other Christians, telling them their testimony. It's such an interesting thing. You're thinking, why is he doing that? Why is he telling them what happened to them? Surely they should know. It's their story. But he says in verse 11 of chapter 2, therefore remember. He wants the Christian to remember what God did in their life. Now that suggests to us that we are prone to forget. And we're prone to grow cold. It's interesting that in Revelation, it is the church in Ephesus that Jesus says, you've lost your first love. And here they are getting told their testimony years before. So we're seeing a trajectory that you start to forget what the Lord has done for you. Your love starts to grow cold. Are you seeing? So we need to remember. We so easily forget. Um, so that's what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the Christian's testimony. Can I say... This is every Christian's testimony. What we're about to read here, maybe you're one of the, maybe you've said this, oh, my testimony's boring. It's not like that person that was saved, the alcoholic. My, I, I, I was just saved at eight. I, I just believed when I was. No, there's no boring testimony. This is what happened to you, what we're about to look at in chapter two. You have found this, right? Whoever you are, if you're a Christian this morning, this is your testimony. But if there's anyone here who hasn't yet found this, don't switch off because you're in this story too, right? This is where it gets sobering. There's part one and part two of this story. So part one is verse one to three, and part two is verse four to 10. This story only gets good from verse four to 10. So if you're not a Christian this morning, you're stuck in verse one to three, and it's sobering. So you must listen to, please switch on and just listen to what the Bible says to where you're at if you're not yet a Christian. So it's going to, hopefully this is going to speak to everyone this morning. And we're just simply going to go through chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. And we're asking the question, what is the Christian's testimony? So let's read it again, um, just 1 to 10, just to get our bearings again. Um, let's read, uh, starting at verse 1. And you... He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, 
among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So let's stop there for now. So, that, so we're only going to look at that bit first. And it's the first point this morning. Um, what was the Christian like before they were a Christian? So that, that's what we're looking at first. And there's going to be, how many words have I got here? Three words. Dead, stuck, guilty. Right? It's, it's, it's sad, but we have to get our heads around this. So the first word is dead, right? And that's surprising. If you could think about how the Bible would describe a Christian, what would you think? Maybe weak maybe bad you might think bad would be the word but dead dead is the word used and you might obvious question is how were they dead if i looked out of the world today they don't look dead to me they're loving life they're washing their cars they're going to the gym they're running they're making music very much alive so how are they how are we how are we dead what's this talking about well it's not talking about physical death it's not even talking about intellectual death. We're very clever today. There's some great minds out there today. I'm not one of them. But there's many clever people out there today. But what, in what sense are we dead? Well, this is talking about spiritually. So already, let's lay the ground. Um, we, the Bible says that we have a spiritual part of ourselves, right? So every single one of, the, one of us in this room has a capacity to know the spiritual, right? We were made that way. So in, in Genesis, how are human beings different from animals? Well, many ways. But one key way a, a human is different is they were made to know God. So you were made to know God in a way that the animals weren't, right? So you've got this great privilege, right? But we're dead spiritually. So we've got the capacity to, I've got a part of me that could know God, but I don't. It, it's dead. It's as if it doesn't exist, Right? That's what this is saying. And what does that, how does that work out? Well, just imagine it then. So imagine you saw, let's follow this picture. So imagine you, uh, you saw a dead, uh, or a grave. Let's say you're standing at a grave, right? And you're trying to work out, how is this person dead? Well, call to them. Can they answer? No. Can they respond? No. Can they see you? No. They're dead. That's the same way which we're dead spiritually. Think about it. It's saying this. You can't know God. You're dead to God. It's quite shocking. You can't hear his voice. You can't speak or truly respond to him. You can't see him dead. That's what this is saying. It's quite shocking. But there's more. Paul says, um, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So you're dead in something, right? So you're not just dead to what's good. So you're not just dead to pleasing God and living for God. You're stuck in something bad, right? What's trespasses? Trespasses is breaking the boundaries that God has set. So God says, don't lie, don't steal. When you trespass, you're smashing that boundary, saying, no, I am going to lie, actually. I am going to steal. So you're dead in that. That's saying you can't but do that. Do you get, do you get the picture? You're, you're, you're stuck in that way of breaking God's boundaries. That's, but then there's also dead in sin. Sin is like, there's a standard, love God, love your neighbour as yourself. How good would our world be if the world stuck to that, right? But we're dead in sin. So we're stuck down here. We can't reach it. So that's the picture here. So you're dead in trespasses. You cannot but do trespasses and sins, is basically what it's saying. But there's more still. 
Paul says, in which you once walked. That's important because when you hear that word dead, you maybe think, well, it's not my fault then. I'm dead. What can I do? It's not my fault. I have to do those things because I'm dead in it. This is saying, no, you're choosing to do it. <laughs> you're walking. It's active. You're willfully choosing to do those things. It's not like you're innocent. This is saying you're walking in this way. You're choosing to smash the boundaries. So you're not unconscious. You're dead, but you're not unconscious. You're, this is sin. This is sin captured. You're going like this to God. You're not ruling over my life. I'm going this way. That's the picture that we've just been introduced to by Paul when we hear that word dead. So Christian was dead. That's the first word. But then there's another word, stuck. Why am I saying that? Well, let's carry on reading. So, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Why is that so important? Because at this moment, if I was saying this message out there, right, to our public today, some people would shout back, so what? I love it. I love doing sin. I love living for me. I don't want God. So it sounds like freedom to some people, what I've just described. So what? This, this is great, living for me. But Paul says, no, 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 no. You're walking according to something. So in the ESV, it says following. So you think you're walking free when you're living for yourself, right? Paul says, no, 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 you're following something. You're stuck under this power. And I'm going to call it a triple power, right? There's three things that Paul says. Course of this world, verse 2. Prince of the power of the air. And then later on, I think verse 3, our flesh. So there's three things you're stuck under when you're outside of Christ, right? Let me just, we'll just go through them one by one. Course of this world, what's that talking about? It's not talking about this physical planet. It's talking about a world system that is set up against God. So where do you see that today? Well, what's the headlines on social media that you guys, or TV? You do you. Do what makes you happy. Do what you want. Be who you want to be. It's all this world system that is saying, God's not going to tell me anything. I'm going to decide, right? That's the world system that everyone is under. Now, people don't realize that, that they're following a system when they go down that road, they think they're being free. I'm living, I'm living for me. So there's a world system, but then this gets more sinister now. There's not just a something, there's a someone. A prince of the air. Who's that? A prince. Prince of the power of the air. Satan. So Paul is essentially saying, when you're going your own way, you're not going your own way, you're following Satan. He, he's like pulling the strings behind the world system. So that's quite sinister because it's saying he's got a level of power. He's a prince. Prince has some sort of power, don't they? And also of the air. Prince of, what, why the air? Well, the air is the immediate atmosphere above this world. So he's got a domain. He's got a level of power in this world. Everywhere you step foot in this world is under the air. So you're, you can't break free from him. His, his whole kingdom is, is, you could say his kingdom is, is the world in many ways. So this is not good. But there's a third power, this is the shocking bit, me. <laughs> there's a power within me that is leading me to do things that harm me. Have you ever wondered why the alcoholic knows they're doing wrong, knows they're not helping themselves by drinking, yet they keep doing it? Or the drug addict, or any addict, or any person that does wrong, 
They're, not, they're harming others, they're harming themselves, but yet we can't help it. Why is that? It's because there is a power within me that is making me do things that I know I shouldn't be doing. So, are you seeing the picture here? You're dead and you're stuck under this threefold power. It's not a nice picture so far. And there's one more word, guilty. All of this that I've just described has consequences, right? Where do we see the guilty bit? Well, children of wrath, the verse three. Children of wrath. So the picture gets even worse. Um, as we're walking down this road, following Satan, following my own desires, I'm walking under wrath. Um, you could see it like this. I'm heading towards a cliff edge, the end of my life. What's beyond that cliff edge? Eternal wrath, hell. That's where this road is headed. Only one place. It's so sad. The children of wrath means all I know from God is wrath. It's all I get from him. It's a horrible picture that Paul has painted for us. And we must pause at this moment and ask the question, do you really believe that that's true? Do I believe it? Is it over the top? Is Paul being dramatic or is this really the case? Is, was this the case for you before you were a Christian? And is this the case for every non-Christian today? Do I actually believe it? I would say to help us, because it seems very kind of overdramatic, just think about our experiences in this world and maybe it will help us to think, yeah, this is true. Um, why is there this felt deadness? So we've talked about being dead, right? Why is it that people like Jim Carrey, right, get to the top of life? Jim Carrey, I hope everyone knows who I'm talking about. He said this, I hope everyone gets everything they ever dreamed of so they can find out it's not the answer. So he's basically saying, I reached the top of everything I thought that I needed in life and it's still not the answer. So it's saying, he's basically saying, there's something more and I can't get it. I've got everything I thought I needed, family, uh, celeb uh, fame, money. Doesn't that resonate with the dead spiritually thing that I've just been saying? that there's some part of me that was made for more and yet it's dead. So there's that. Then there's the stuck bit that I was talking about. Don't we feel that? Um, I find it so interesting that our world has existed for many, many, many years and we can't seem, we, 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 we say we're so advanced today, scientifically, medically, technology, but yet we can't solve evil. War still remains, horrible atrocities, rape, we, we can't work it out. I heard people say, this is the 21st century and there's still racism and there's still this. It's, it's like they, we can't break free from this problem that I've just been describing. We're stuck. We're trying. In fact, the more we've advanced, the more capacity for evil we have. Nuclear weapons now. Um, the, the internet has been great, but think of the porn industry. Um, evil has only got more. So there's that and then there's the personal me as well. I'm stuck. Have you ever felt that? You, you've got these habits in your life that you want to get rid of. They're causing you shame and you can't break free. Um, so we're stuck, we're dead, we feel it. Then there's also guilt. I, I always find it interesting that we can't seem to sit still silently. There always has to be a radio on, a TV on, something to distract me. Why? I think part of it is because we've got this nagging conscience and I don't want to listen to it, so I'm going to distract. That's why this world constantly needs distractions and something. So just analyze our experience and you'll find this does actually resonate. 
Um, and before we move on to the good bit, um, Christian, I suppose, if, if you're a Christian here, um, do you see that this was you? We have to, because my salvation will mean nothing. If I, do, if I don't see that I was here, even you who grew up in a Christian home and don't feel you did anything terrible, this still was you. This still was me. This still was every Christian born into this world. That's key. But then also for anyone here who isn't in Christ, this is you now. I say it soberly. I say it without joy. If there's a Christian sitting in this, sorry, a non-Christian sitting in this room, everything we've just said is presently true about you. You currently sit under God's wrath. It's a, it's a, it's a horrible thought. Um, you're currently dead in sin. There's no way out. Um, we must come to terms with this. And surely if that's true, we must cry out at this point in the sermon, what can be done for this person? This person that we've just been describing, surely there's something. The world would say today, religion. Surely they can do a bit of religion or good deeds. Or maybe as a good Christian, we would say, repent, turn around, come on, come back to God. They're dead. <laughs> they can't. It's hopeless. So that's what brings us to verse four. But God, the only thing, the only thing that can help this person is God himself. We need a miracle for this person. It's supernatural. And that's where we get to now with point two. We've looked at where the Christian was. What happened to the Christian? What are they like now? What did God do? Because we read but God. What, what did he do for them? Well, let's go through four new words, and they're a lot brighter. Alive, accepted, free, and new. That first word, alive. Um, but God, who is rich, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. What, what does that mean? What does it mean that you've been made alive? Well, I think the clue is the next word after that, together with Christ. So Paul is drawing a, a connecting dot between you being made alive and Jesus. What has he just done in chapter one? This is why I read chapter one. We read in chapter one how Christ was raised from the dead, basically. I could read it now, but due to time, um, he's, he was raised from the dead. Basically, this is saying that you as a Christian have that now spiritually so picture christ in a tomb bursting out of the tomb alive that's you christian you're alive now in a way you weren't before you god is suddenly real to you that's the taste and see thing that i was talking about you're now aware of god he's there he's real he's with me he's for me it's an amazing thing to suddenly be alive it's like your senses your spiritual senses are now everything you do in this world God's real. He's with me. He, he did that for me. Thank you, God. The tiniest little thing. He answered my prayer. I can talk to him. It's a beautiful thing to be alive spiritually. Do you see that? Second word, accepted. What did we learn about the non-Christian? Children of wrath, right? Now, what are the words we find in the second half? Mercy, love, grace. That's what they find. They come to know God, the wrath is gone. 
All they know is love. All they find is mercy. All they know is grace. Grace is basically kindness, undeserved kindness. Now, how? Again, it's that word together with Christ. That's how. They're with Christ now. Christ is the beloved son, so they're beloved. Do you see? They're accepted because they're in Christ, who is the righteous one. So it's not down to them. They're themselves as sinners, but they've been joined to Christ. So everything that Christ is, you are in the eyes of God. Amazing truth. Justified, accepted. Did you notice that it says seated with him? When did, what made Christ sit down in heaven? Partly because he finished the work. So you're, it's done for you. You're seated with him. You've got no more work to do. It's done. You're accepted. But also seated with Christ in the heavenly places. I can say to you, Christian, heaven is so sure for you, you're seated there now. Religious people have no assurance of anything good beyond life. It just depends on, did I do enough? I'm not sure. You can say, I'm so sure of heaven. I'm seated with Christ now there, even though my feet are on the ground. That's how sure heaven is. Are you amazed at this? It's so good. So alive, accepted, free. Why am I saying free? Well, there's a reason Paul uses this kind of language in verse five and six uh, words like made us alive raised us up in verse six seated in the heavenly places why is he doing that why is he describing your salvation like that well in verse one to three remember the things that he was saying you're dead in sin that's where you were so when he says you're made alive that's saying sin no longer has that power over you that it once did you're no longer dead in it you're alive so yes we still sin as christians but it's not inevitable now before it was inevitable now i can say no to that it's not inevitable that i'm going to turn to that thing again so you're alive but then he says more raised us up to sit with christ why is he saying that because in verse one to three he remember he said we were following the course of this world and you're under the prince of the air Well, the air is the immediate atmosphere above this earth. But if you're seated with Christ, you're above the prince of the air now. He doesn't have the same hold over you as he once did. This world system doesn't have the same hold over you. You don't have to follow it. You don't have to follow Satan anymore. You're above that now. You're seated with Christ. You see what Paul is saying? It's not just that you've been forgiven. It's that you've been set free from those powers you are under. I think we need to remember that as Christians because we so easily say, yeah, I'm forgiven, but I just, I just keep doing that sin. No, we can say no. There's power um, to say no. Amazing. But then there's one more word, new. You're completely new. Why am I saying that? Because verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you notice that Paul in the first half of this whole passage says we were walking in trespasses and sin. Now it's like you've done a whole 180 degrees and you're walking, but you're walking in good works now, the complete opposite. There's fruit from your life that is the direct opposite of sin. You're not neutral. You're now walking in a new path of good works, sharing the love of God. Is it? Do you see the absolute transformation? I hope, it, I hope 
I hope it's just shown you the absolute transformation of, of, of a Christian. Um, one more question, though. Uh, how did it happen? I think that's really important. How did this happen to the Christian? Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you think, this isn't me. How, how, how can you know this? Well, I think you, we could summarize it by saying, but God. God did it. But we can go a bit further, and I'll just show you three ways in which God did it. So one, one way is in Christ. So do you, that phrase pops up all the way through this. In Christ, in Christ. Maybe count it. Scan your eyes through it. In Christ, in Christ. That's basically saying, this, please, this is so important. Um, Christ is the way this happened. So picture it like this. Um, verse 1 to 3 is here, the old life. Horrible, miserable life. And then verse 4 to 10 is here. Jesus, you could say, was here. In heaven, with the Father, no sin, love of God, Son of God. He looks over to us over here in verse 3, 1 to 3. Well, my poor people, they are under this horrible thing. So what he does is he leaves this domain and comes to our domain where we are. And he takes everything that we were under at the cross. The death that I was under... The wrath of God he took at the cross, the sins, the trespasses, and he dies. And it's gone in a tomb. But the story doesn't end there. He rises and breaks free, and he returns back to here. And here's the point here. He brings the Christian with him. Amen. That's the point. That's in Christ. You are united to Christ. Where he is, you are. It's all, it's all in him. It's all because of him. And then there's another thing, though. Because you could say, okay, but how do I find this? Because it's not automatic for everyone, is it? By faith. Through faith, I could say. In Christ, but through faith. If Christ is the connecting point for me to find all of this amazing blessing, then faith is the thing that joins me to Christ. Through faith. Faith, it makes sense. It has to be by faith. There's no other way. If I'm dead in sin, no amount of work is going to get me there. Nothing's going to help me. All I can do is trust Christ. That's all I can do in this state. So through faith is the key. That's how you find this, faith in Christ. But one more thing, because there's a, maybe a question. You'll say, ah, but they were dead. How did they believe in Christ? They couldn't do anything. By grace. So that's the final thing, by grace. Do you know that even the faith that a Christian believes was given to them as a gift? I can't even take credit for the faith that saves me. Even that was given. Paul says it. Faith was a gift. It is the gift of God, he says. Not of yourselves. So I can say this. It was 100% of God, 0% of me. Praise God. Um, and that's how. But maybe one final question why you might say why did god do all of that he did everything i did nothing why the only answer the only because here is because of the great love with which he loved us that is the only reason a christian is saved god loves you and he loves you so much what great love that christ would go through all of that so that's the only reason and then you might say but why does god love me all i can say to that is God loves me because he loves me. I don't know why. Um, so this is the wonder of the Christian's testimony. And as we bring things to a close, I just want to ask the question, uh, is this your story? Is this your story? 
Um, has this happened to you? Can you say, I was dead, now I'm alive? Can you say, I was lost, now I'm found? If yes, then Christians, Paul says, remember. Remember, verse 11. Because if we remembered this, wouldn't we be humbled continually? We get proud, look at my Bible knowledge, that I, I, I'm part of the right denomination. We do so many, we, pride starts to grow. The minute I remember this, I'm back down to the floor again because I realise I added nothing to this. Even the faith that I'm saved by was given as a gift. I'm humbled again, again and again. But also, if we remember this, wouldn't we be filled with praise? If I truly got this, I would be bursting with praise. I'd never get over this. So this is a, an encouragement. Remember what God has done and your life will be filled with praise. We, we should never get over this. We should always be amazed. And maybe a third thing as well, shouldn't we expect to see a change in our lives? If I remembered this was my testimony, I think it would encourage me to say, Joe, don't put up with that sin. You're alive in Christ. You were raised with him. Why are you giving in to that? Why are you so afraid in this world when you're seated with Christ? You get what I mean? But when you remember that this is my story, I will expect change in my life. I'm alive. The same power that raised Christ is at work in me. I'm not going to live in the, the gutter. I'm, I'm, I'm going to expect God to do some amazing things in my life, to set me free from things I never thought I'd be free from. And take it from me, when I entered this Christian life, I entered in with habits and sins which I thought I'd never be free from. And I'm still struggling with sin, as we all do. But can I tell you that God has taken things away in my life which I thought he never would. And I'm still amazed that he has done it. I'm, I'm like, how has he done that? I thought I'd be stuck with that for the rest of my Christian life. So to just expect God to do amazing things in your life, set you free from things you never thought you would be. Um, and I think I'll, I'll end by asking or saying to those of you that might be sitting here thinking this isn't my story so maybe when you entered this place you thought you were a Christian but when you read this story you think I don't think that's happened to me or maybe you sat, sat here and you know you're not a Christian then what would you take from this well surely you want it to be your story surely surely you want to be in verse 4 and 10 surely you want to be alive and knowing the love of God well if that's you one bit of advice I could give you from this is surrender give up that's what this tells you to do right why am I saying that because if it's a hundred percent of God and zero percent of you then and even your faith is a gift right surely the only thing you can do is surrender and what is faith essentially, right? Imagine the trust game. Have you played the trust game where you fall back into someone's arms, right? That's what faith is. Christ is there behind you, ready to catch you. Faith is falling into his arms. That's what you're called to do. Are you going to trust Christ like that? Maybe your problem has been that you have been trying to be saved. Maybe you've tried to have the faith. You've tried to stop this or do this. I think this is saying, give up. I know someone who became a Christian. She was raised in a Christian home, battled for years, and then she finally was baptized. And I was like, what changed? She used to come to me with all these questions. I said, what actually changed? She goes, it was the minute I realized that I could do nothing. 
but trust Christ for what he did. That's when things changed for her. So maybe for you, the call is to surrender and fall into his arms and say, Lord, I can't do it. Catch me. Even the f- give me faith. I don't believe. You can be honest with God and say, I don't believe this. I know I don't. But I've just heard t- today that you give faith. So will you please give me faith to believe this? Do you see, do you see what uh, this is? This is a complete trust in God. So can I urge you to do that? And can I also say, don't rest until you know that this is your story. God gives assurance. Yes, Christians battle with assurance. Maybe all of us, even me, would read this and think, I don't know if this is my story. This is too dramatic. But, but seek assurance. Um, if, if you're not sure whether you're a Christian, say, Lord, I want you to convince me I am. I'm going to keep knocking until you give me some assurance that I'm a Christian. And he does. He never turns away anyone who looks for him. So I hope this has encouraged you. It's, it's an amazing thing. And let's sing. I, I, I couldn't think.